Nuclear Films, Take Two. The International Uranium Film Festival in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, showcased the finest films of the past year on nuclear issues, coming from the U.S., the U.K., Brazil, Spain, Japan, France, Poland, India, Ireland, Korea, Scotland, and Sweden. It was attended by concerned citizens, high school classes, movie buffs, and the consuls general of Sweden and Spain. Despite the serious nature of the films, the spirit of the festival was upbeat, optimistic, energetic, and, dare I say it, fun. So when Norbert Suchenek, one of the directors of the festival, points out additional benefits of this international in-gathering of artists, activists, movies, and movie fans, and he reminds you... This is uh, what the festival is too about, to make friends and to do networking. We brought together young filmmakers with very experienced nuclear activists. So I think we are starting a new story. Well, one can only hope that the new stories these young filmmakers will be creating will keep the spotlight on nuclear madness and suggest possible solutions to get us out of that terrible, dangerous, awful seat that we all share. Nuclear hot seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat, what have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat, the corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat, it's the bomb. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly international news magazine keeping you up to date on all things nuclear from a different perspective. My name is Libby Halevi. I'm the producer and host, as well as a survivor of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island from just one mile away. So I know what can happen when those nuclear so-called experts get it wrong. This week, part two of our special report on the International Uranium Film Festival. Ten days, 16 films from around the world, a celebration of nuclear filmmaking held in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. We'll talk with festival founder and director Marcia Gomez de Oliveira, depleted uranium expert and scholar Damasio Lopez, who has been involved with the festival since its beginnings in 2011, learn about Brazil's largest radiological accident, and how teenage dance students brilliantly commemorated the event. We spoke with audience members and others leading up to the awards ceremony and a glimpse of where the festival is gearing up to go in the coming years. Today is Tuesday, June 6, 2023, and here is a Nuclear Hot Seat special. The 12th Annual International Uranium Film Festival 2023 in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, Part 2. The International Uranium Film Festival was founded in 2011 by Norbert Suchenek and Marcia Gomez de Oliveira. It's based in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, but in the ensuing years, the festival has traveled around the world, often to remote locations, sharing atomic films that would not normally be seen without the festival to present them and draw attention to their important, thought-provoking messages. Back in 2011, when the festival was just getting started, 
One of its notable supporters and participants was Damasio Lopez from Socorro, New Mexico. He assisted with the film Uranio 238, The Pentagon's Dirty Pool, a 28-minute film produced in Costa Rica that analyzes the health of soldiers and civilians exposed to depleted uranium contamination. The film won the Jury Award as Best Short Film of the first festival in 2011. Damasio went on to make two other films and further contributions to the festival. Note that what you are about to hear is edited out from a much longer interview with Damasio on his work internationally on depleted uranium, including his pivotal role in having DU weapons banned from two countries. We'll feature the full, fascinating interview in the coming weeks. For now, here's a glimpse of the earlier years of the IUFF. Demacio Lopez, it's so great to see you here in Rio for the International Uranium Film Festival and for being my guest now on Nuclear Hot Seat. Well, thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. You are not specifically a filmmaker. So what brought you down here for this year's festival? Well, this goes back to where I first met the director of the uh, film festival, Norberg Schuschnick. It was back in 2008. I was in Window Rock, Arizona, which is a place where the Native American tribes that were represented around the United States uh, came to, uh, together there in 2008. I went there with a film that I had assisted in making in 2000 called The Invisible War, The Politics of Radiation, directed by Martin Mazzarini of Canal Plus. This documentary was a very good one. The following year, in 2011, this particular documentary got an award at the Grand Prix Film Festival. And I thought that was pretty good (laughs) that that happened. But getting back to Norberg, in 2008, I met Norberg in uh, Window Rock, Arizona. I didn't meet him till after I had presented this documentary. That's why I had gone to this, this particular conference. What was the conference that you were at in 2008? It was a conference for Native American tribes that were involved in issues having to do with uranium. And of course, in that area, in Window Rock, we have the Navajo people, and they've suffered a lot from uranium in their mining experiences. And so that's what brought me to Window Rock. I was, of course, invited there by the chiefs of the conference. And when I went there, uh, lo and behold, that's when I met Norberg. And after I gave the film presentation, he, he wanted to talk to me. I didn't know who he was. He just introduced himself. And I said, sure. So it was all over. We sat down, had some coffee and talked. And, and he mentioned to me that he's very interested in film and that he hoped and was working on an international film festival. He was just getting started, and he had made up his mind he was going to do this. We had a short discussion. I think we talked for about a half hour and didn't see him again until three years later. And by this point, it's 2011. 2011, correct. And what had happened in 2011, I had been involved with a group in Costa Rica. It was the University of Costa Rica, and there was a director named Dr. Pablo Ortega, And together, we worked on this film and came up with a film called Uranio 238, The Pentagon's Dirty Pool. And, of course, the director was Dr. Pablo Ortega from the University of Costa Rica. The film was about a lot had to do with the diseases and problems that they had had in Iraq 
and some of the things that had happened in my hometown in Socorro, New Mexico as well. This is as a result of depleted uranium. That is correct. All of this was centered around depleted uranium. I met him then, and then three years later, he, I get a, f- a message from Norberg. And I had almost forgotten who he was three years later. And as I said, the year before, in 2010, I had helped with this uh, Uranio-238, the Pentagon's dirty pool. And so we had the film already done, and we had been showing it. And so when he said that they're going to have this film festival, I said, I have a film for you. And this was his first year. This was, he was struggling. He was trying to put the thing together. He didn't know if he was going to get the people in there or get the films. And I told him I had this film, and I'd send it to him. He said, okay. So I sent him the film, and he said, hey, great. Come on to the film festival. Give me the dates. And I came here to Rio de Janeiro and met him and his wife, Marcia, and two wonderful people. And I was really impressed with what they were doing and showed the documentary there in 2011. And lo and behold, we get first place in that festival, the first one that they had. We got first place for short film. That was really great. It did a lot for our work in depleted uranium. And since then, uh, Norberg has been doing a lot of work with the depleted uranium, showed a lot of the movies that we've produced here on depleted uranium. I am just so glad to have ever met him and Marcia. Norbert is an indomitable force, and when he finds people who align with his vision and are dedicated to this issue, he tends to keep in touch with us and see what he can do to keep us moving forward as he moves his own work forward. What was the next piece that came together with you and Norbert that was so impactful for the International Uranium Film Festival? Well, Norbert came to my hometown in Socorro, New Mexico. He traveled from here, from Rio to Socorro and to meet me. And he said, told me he had come. And we had spoken on the phone prior to that. He wanted to do a film about Socorro because that's where a lot of the testing takes place for these depleted uranium weapons. In fact, that facility is only, it's less than two miles from my house. So he came to Socorro and asked me to, of course, to help him like I had with others and find people and do a lot of the research. And sure enough, a completed movie documentary called Socorro, The City of Depleted Uranium, was put together by Transcend Media Service. This was a great help for us in Socorro because we were having very severe problems in my hometown. We had discovered way back in 1972 that depleted uranium was being tested in Socorro, unbeknownst to the people in the town. They had begun testing in 1972, unbeknownst to the people in the town. In 1985, I discovered that they were testing depleted uranium, and I had no idea what that was. And so I contacted the president of the school at New Mexico Tech and told him I would like to have a talk with him. And and that I understood that there was some testing going on on the mountain and I wanted to know more about it. My mother had told me, Damasio, please go out there and find out what's going on because they had these real loud explosions and after each explosion, there'd be this black cloud of smoke that'd come over our little tiny town of Socorro. And this mountain that was sitting next to Socorro, the wind would come from that direction, the prevailing winds and over the community. 
we were also getting our water, drinking water, coming from that mountain. That's the drinking water for the people of the town. So they were concerned that maybe because of what was going on, that whatever it was they were testing, they didn't know. They didn't know in 1984-85 that depleted uranium had not only been tested, but had been tested since 1972. And that also going back to 1949, they had been developing the weapon right there in Socorro, along with a couple of other facilities, but Socorro was one of the main ones. So nobody knew about it in the town except the politicians, the county commissioner, the mayor, uh, And then, of course, uh, at the school, they kept mum about what they were doing there. So when my mom asked me to look into this, I wrote a letter to the editor asking what was going on in in that mountain, and uh, I heard these explosions. And what happened after that was a a series of events took place because I went to the Board of Regents meeting at the school, New Mexico Institute of Mining and Technology, a public institution right there in Socorro. I asked to be on the agenda for the Board of Regents meeting, and, and I asked a bunch of questions. I said, what are, what are you testing there? And they said, well, we're just testing, like we always have, explosives and things like that, and we do stuff, special types of testing for the military. And they were kind of reluctant to answer my questions, but anyway, I left thinking, okay, everything's okay. Everything's fine. So I went back and told my mom, no, nah, mom, don't worry about it. There's just uh, explosions, explosives that are going off, and They'll eventually stop, I said. Well, an interesting thing happened. About five days after the, an article came out in the newspaper, in Tiny Socorro, the questions I had asked at the Board of Regents meeting were in the newspaper, exactly what I was asking about. And so I wake up this one morning. I go outside like I normally do, 7, 8 o'clock in the morning, open my door. And out in my lawn are five huge boxes, neatly packed. And I thought, why would somebody bring their garbage over here and put them on my lawn next to my front door? So I thought, well, I better look and see what's in here. And to my amazement, I found the entire history of the testing of depleted uranium, not only in my hometown, but in, in Europe and other, and other states across the United States and who was doing it, how they were doing it, what depleted uranium actually was, and their test, their their testing on human, not, well, there was testing on humans as well, going back to, to after, after the war. I was amazed, and, and I thought, what kind of weapon is this? And they kept mentioning there was uranium, and uranium penetrators, and they called them depleted uranium penetrators. And so I saw all this. Inf- I didn't, of course, you know, five huge boxes. They must have weighed 100 pounds to go through these. Uh, I just selected a few things. And what I selected was that it was bad for human health and the environment. They had done these kinds of tests. They figured out what kind of diseases people would get and how effective this uh, uranium would be on soldiers. And I saw all of this. And so I got on the telephone and I called the president of New Mexico Tech. And I said, Mr. President, I'd like to talk to you. I, I have some information about the testing there, and I think maybe we should discuss this. Is, is it possible for me to meet with you? He said, sure, no problem. So we met the next day, and I took some selected documents. One of the documents was that the testing had begun in 1972, 
of depleted uranium weapons. And then I showed him the document about the research on health and environment and the things that could happen to people and the environment. About this time, his face turned white, totally white. And then he said, what's the matter with you, boy? Don't you understand English? It's depleted of uranium. You should go to school and learn English. This man had to have been 10 years younger than me. And I thought that all that discrimination and racist remarks that I had endured as a young man in Socorro were over with, but obviously not. So with this information, again, you are listed in the program of this year's festival as both an activist and a scholar on depleted uranium. Where did you go with that information and how did it turn into films? Well, with that information made me a scholar. (laughs) 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 There was very few people in the world that had that information. Did you ever find out who left it there? I sure did. (laughs) (laughs) About two years later, I was with some friends and one of them was a cousin of mine and he called me aside and said, Demacio, you got the boxes? And I said, what? He said, the boxes I left on your lawn. (laughs) I said, you did that? He said, yeah. He said, I had read in the newspaper where you had asked all these questions about the school and the testing and, and so forth. He said, I picked up those boxes at the office of the director of the testing facility called it Terra. This man had gotten brain cancer. He dealt with uranium all the time, right? And so he got real sick, so the school got rid of him. They didn't need him anymore. He went ahead, this director, put all these documents that he had preserved over the years since the beginning, 1949, and they put them in these neat boxes, expecting the janitor to pick them up and burn the stuff like they normally do. Well, my cousin had read the newspaper and saw that I was looking for this kind of information. He's also a good friend of mine. And took them in the middle of the night, which is when they pick up their trash and take it out, and put it in my front yard. (laughs) (laughs) After taking a few moments to regroup and refocus, we moved on to discussing the International Uranium Film Festival's 2018 tour of the American Southwest. How are you involved in helping to bring the International Uranium Film Festival to the southwest of the United States? After I had uh, attended two of these conferences, they were in different places. I went to one in Germany and I went to one here of the festival that Norbin put together. And so we were getting, we were becoming better and better friends and had more and more confidence in each other. And he asked me, he said, you know, I want to take this festival to the United States. It hadn't been in the U.S. and I'd like you to know if you would help me do this. I said, how many festivals do you want? He said, probably around three three different places. So I suggested places that I knew people and that I had some influence, and that would be in Albuquerque, New Mexico, Santa Fe, New Mexico, in Arizona. He said, okay. He said, great. And so then I made my contacts in these areas, told them what we were proposing and asking them if they would be interested in in having this festival in their hometown. And uh, they said, absolutely, we want it, you know, especially the the Navajos in Arizona. So I went to work. I had never done this before, 
I had put together a lot of events, so it was not that hard from that point of view. Norbert, of course, helped me a lot. He's the one that selected a lot of the movies that were going to be shown, the films. And so a few months later, it took me about six months, I guess, but finally got a date and got all the different movies that we were going to film, that we were going to show and come together. And Norberg and Marcia came, and I kind of stepped back, and they took over. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful because I attended that one as well. Did you? I was in Window Rock. So that was, I think, my second International Uranium Film Festival. My first one was Quebec City. Demacio Lopez. In the full interview, you'll learn not only of his work, but the book he's writing, which is currently being edited, and why he feels it necessary to get this information about depleted uranium to President Zelensky in Ukraine. As you have already heard, Marcia Gomez de Oliveira is founder and director, along with Norbert Suchanek, of the International Uranium Film Festival. She was born in Rio de Janeiro, studied social science, and her first scientific work was with indigenous people from the Amazon and from Rio de Janeiro. As to why she and Norbert founded the festival, she says, everyone should know about nuclear dangers, and the best way to spread that knowledge is through movies. So we founded the world's first film festival about the whole nuclear fuel chain and radioactive risks. I spoke with Marcia Gomez de Oliveira on May 27, 2023. Marcia Gomez de Oliveira, thank you so much for all the work you do through the year to create the International Uranium Film Festival. What is your position with the festival? I'm a creator of the festival together Norbert. In fact, Norbert is the analyzer of the idea, but put the idea in reality, it's you work together for do, do it. What is your background and how did you get involved with nuclear issues? As the most part of people in Brazil is near enough, don't talk about, even think about these issues. The nuclear power station in Brazil was built during the dictatorship, so it's not subject for, for all. But I work with Guarani in Bia indigenous people who live near the nuclear power station. Because of this, I get more conscience. In putting together the festival, I know that your work as a teacher and the students that you are in contact with and faculty has made a big impact on who knows about this festival and the work that is done. Tell us first the school that you are with, what kind of a school it is, and how you work with the school and the people there to bring the festival about. When we have the idea to do the festival, I just teach her. And what were you teaching? Sociology and how put together the work with sociology between teenager and the idea to do the festival start when I just teach her. And then I figure out I need to put both together because I want one person. I can do the two things in the same time 
I have possibility to teach in a special school about communication, audiovisual, events. So in that school, I can do both, teach sociology and organize the festival. The special school name is Escola Técnica Estadual Adolfo Bloch. The Adolfo Bloch School. Yes, and this school is only about communication and art and audiovisual. There is no other in entire Brazil like this. What I have to do with sociology? For me, sociology is do the world better. And how? For me, the education is the best way. I find in this special school all I need. Teach sociology and organize the festival with the students and support with technical professor professional from audiovisual, from event, from publicity, hospitality. You have all these in, this, in that school because these, they can support the festival. They have opportunity to stay in museum, very special place, MAM, Museum of Modern Art. Some students go there for the first time in their life because the festival. If they know about nuclear station in Rio because the festival, they know about uranium mining, so on, because the festival. So there is a good combination. They certainly are exposed to information they wouldn't get in other ways. I was extremely impressed because the students, under the guidance of the teachers, of course, put together a special series of events to celebrate the festival and you as their teacher and me as the special guest from Los Angeles. They gave us a tour in English. They made certain that I always had one of the students there who could interpret for me at my elbow. They were amazingly well-informed about nuclear already. And they showed me places where parts of a mural on the wall contained a part of the poster from past editions of the festival. So it's like you're interwoven there. And they did a celebration in dance. This was somewhere around 20 or maybe 30 young women dancing hip hop. It was such an explosion of joy and life. And the reason that we fight nuclear is to protect this kind of life and joy and exuberance, and especially young women who hold the future of the planet in their wombs. They knew it, we knew it, and we were all there just celebrating the fact that something was being done and we were the ones to do it. Have they ever done anything like that before? Do you know the students talk with English language? with a person who is not the teacher in classroom for the first time. You was the first person that they talking in their life in English. So it's a very, very emotional moment for them. And I'm sure they never forgot. And they're also 
Some of them support staff at the festival working as ushers or organizers or gophers or whatever has to take place. Is there going to be anything special done at the festival for these students? Yes. So it will be a surprise what's happened. Which is all very exciting because the joke in the United States is that in the anti-nuclear movement, a young activist is anyone under 60. So to see all of these 18 and 20-year-olds show the excitement and the enthusiasm that they did for the festival, for the subject matter, for what it is that you bring to them in this way, and what that says about the future when all of these students who are trained and skilled in communications actually are out there communicating and what you have brought to them is part of who they are and what they know. It's very exciting as to what can come of it because what you are doing is genuinely building the future, not just with what you and Norbert are doing with the films, but what you personally are doing with the students to bring them to the films and give them the understanding of what it is that they're up against that they can then use in any way they wish. Yes, this is the idea. And during this time, I can say each year I do a new work because each year I have new students. And then I don't realize what I do. It's better a person who see outside. Because I'm inside the situation, so I just work and work and work so hard every day. And sometimes I think, what I done with my life? Because where is my life? But it's a life. It's a beautiful life. And I saw how much those students loved and respected and cared for you. Really, there was a lot of emotion and connection between you and them. So whatever moments of doubt might have, as we all have them, you're building a future by giving these kids the experiences they're having. You are giving them a greater sense of life and a greater sense of connecting with each other and who knows what that will turn into or when the first of those kids will start submitting their films to the international uranium film festival this is the idea and i waiting for it well thank you so much for having done that for all these years and know that i look forward to continuing to view the films and participate in this wonderful community see the kids again and I am grateful to you for all you do, Marcia, and for being my guest this week on Nuclear Hot Seat here in beautiful Rio. Thank you so much. Marcia Gomez de Olvera. Through her combined work as both a teacher and as the head of the festival, has led to the two being intricately entwined with each other. Adolfo Block is the only public school in the country that focuses exclusively on media and the arts. They hosted us to a tour of their impressive arts facilities, a meet and greet with faculty and students, 
and a dance performance by 30 young women from their dance curriculum that was spectacular, high energy, skilled, and very professional, staged just for us. These same dancers came to the festival screening site, the Museum of Modern Art Rio, for an additional performance. This one based on the largest radiological accident in Brazil's history, Goiânia accident of September 13, 1987. A piece of abandoned medical equipment was salvaged by two men trying to sell it for the scrap metal. What they didn't realize is that there was a capsule inside that contained cesium-137. They dug out the cesium, which glowed blue, and made them think that they had found something wondrous and positive, if not valuable. The six-year-old daughter of one of the scavengers thought it was fairy dust, and it was on her hands when she ate a sandwich. She and three others died. More than 112,000 citizens of Goiânia were tested for radiation contamination, and 249 people were found to have been contaminated. It was the worst radiological accident in Brazil's history. To commemorate what was called the Blue Shine of Death, about 30 students, all dressed in white, presented themselves outside the theater, miming normal activities, brushing hair, putting on makeup, talking, hugging in friendship. Pots of blue powder paint were placed around the dance area, the blue powder not explained, but signifying the cesium-137. First, one dancer took blue powder and sprinkled it, not thinking about it, on her white clothes. She touched and hugged other dancers, and the blue transferred to them. Then several took handfuls of powder, and as the dance progressed, blue showed up on shirts, pants, skin, hair, faces, transferred unknowingly in the process of living their lives until everyone was contaminated with the bright blue powder. Towards the end, the dancers began staggering, coughing, and choking. Then as they collapsed and lay still, a figure wearing a respirator that covered her entire face rose above them all in triumph. The cheers from the audience at the end went on for several minutes. I'd never thought of how dance might address nuclear issues, but here it was. An expression through the arts, using dance and music, to tell the nuclear story in a way that left-brained intellects could not sidestep or argue away. And to think that this dance, from conception to execution, was created by a group of teenagers, using their creativity in service to nuclear awareness, was beyond impressive. Kudos to the class and the teachers who supported them. We'll have pictures up on the website, nuclearhotseat.com, under this episode, number 624. The dance was filmed by Miguel Silviero, who is creating a documentary on the International Uranium Film Festival, and when that is available, we'll let you know. During our two days off mid-festival, we spent the mornings on Ipanema Beach, and while this girl is neither tall, tan, young, or, well, we can debate about lovely, Astrid Gilberto's voice echoed in my mind as festival directors, filmmakers Miguel Silviera and Julian Vogel, and assorted friends gathered to relax. Then we visited the indigenous village of Igreja de Gloria in the center of Rio. There we met Urutao Guajajara, an indigenous leader from the northeast Amazon village of Guajajara in the Amazon rainforest of Brazil. Urutao was forced to relocate to Rio, 
where he is now the head of this tiny village. He knew Norbert well, and when he learned of the work I do on behalf of the planet, he reached over and grabbed my arm. Using a green henna-like dye from the fruit of the Amazonian plant Genipapu, he painted a mandala of protection on my arm, with geometric images representing weaving and seed planting. It was an unexpected and deeply honoring gesture, and as I type this more than two weeks later, I still have faded remnants of the design on my arm, and who knows, there may be a permanent tattoo in the offing. We will continue with this second report on the 2023 International Uranium Film Festival from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, in just a moment. But first, again, my gratitude knows no bounds. Thank you for all the different ways you, the listeners, have shown your support for this trip. While in Rio, I was immersed with the films, filmmakers, the festival founders and directors, and I engaged in some of the best, most rousing conversations I've ever experienced about nuclear, about pulling the world back from the brink of Armageddon, using film, podcast, and digital media as our tools. It's exhilarating to be with people who get you, who share the same passionate worldview and dedication to doing whatever we can within our areas of art and expertise to make people aware of nuclear dangers and move them into action. I hope I am conveying to you some of the excitement, amazement, power, and possibility from these incredible events. And to the best of my knowledge, I was the only journalist there covering it, so what you are getting is an exclusive glimpse in a marvelous event. To those of you who donated so generously to make this trip possible, again, a big thank you. But everyone, know that that's not the end of my request because the expenses of Nuclear Hot Seat continue month after month. So if you wish to help Nuclear Hot Seat, please help us out with a donation to cover our operating costs. There are two ways to donate. You can go to NuclearHotSeat.com and click on the red Donate button. Or if you have Zelle, you can send money directly to Nuclear Hot Seat's bank account through our email, info at NuclearHotSeat.com. Either way, we're a 501c3, so the deduction is tax deductible. So donate now. Know that whatever you can do to help, I'm honored to be bringing you all the news from the International Uranium Film Festival in Rio, and I'm deeply grateful that you're listening and that you care. Now here's the conclusion of my two-part report on the 2023 International Uranium Film Festival in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. What kind of impact does this festival have on individuals? And why are they there in the first place? I spoke with many audience members, but this one, Ricardo, summed it up. What brought you here? What attracted you to coming to the International Uranium Film Festival? Well, first of all, I have to say that it has to do with the fact that I love movies. And this is a kind of uh, a genre that I appreciate a lot. I mean, documentary films no matter the subject, because they always bring other points of view, other cultures, other problems, other issues, important issues that, you know, it's not because we want to, but it happens that we live in a bubble, so we only care and you know, we are only concerned about the things that happen in our country, or our city, our neighborhood, family. So it's good to see 
and know and understand what's going on in other people's backyards and playgrounds and countries. So that was the first thing that attracted me. Second, because it's a very important issue. You know, all this talk about nuclear energy and nuclear weapons. I'm from the 1980s, 70s and 80s. So I grew up under this nightmare of a possible atomic war going on to the push of a button. So there was this, that sense of live fast, die young, because we can die at any moment because of any crazy person. So all this together brought me here to attend the festival and, and, and enjoy it as much as possible. What has impressed you most about either the films or any particular film that you've seen? The consequences, which are, I mean, read the consequences, but we don't see them very much. It's, it's not marketed. It's not mediatized. But watching and hearing and seeing people, you know, witnesses, survivors, militants giving their accounts that was very touching very moving and scary in the political side when these people were or are still considered collateral damages or expendable or disposable or i mean they're not human lives so if they're not human lives what the hell are they and who are these people why are still doing these things so it's kind of impressive shocking but also very important to be aware and to get out of our or my own bubble, my concerns. How much of this information have you seen or heard or known about, specifically nuclear, outside of this festival? Not very much. Basically from movies and books, uh, history books and TV news. I was a teenager when Chernobyl happened. I was little when Three Mile, Three Mile Island, Three Long Island, happened so I, I don't remember i remember the movie i would say that m most of the information i've got come from movies and tv shows like chernobyl from hbo like silk woods with meryl streep and Cher and kurt russell and other audiovisual things and also reading i got this book by svetlana ivanovich or something she's a nobel prize and she wrote interviews with people who survived Chernobyl. Voices of Chernobyl, that I think the name, the title. So I got these pieces of information here and putting them together and getting this huge puzzle. A scary one, by the way, but it's important. It's part of growing up, being conscious, aware. It's part of it. And if you were to say anything to people about the International Uranium Film Festival, what would you tell them? Well, I'm already telling them to please come, pay attention, listen, watch, and don't think that this is not happening or it could not happen to any of us because we're not talking about a very specific thing. We're talking about human life, and this is what matters. It's very serious and very complicated. It's a problem when people stop caring about people no matter if they are in your neighborhoods or in a country on the other side of the world. We're talking about us, right? We're talking about people. So where is your empathy? Where is your sympathy? Where is your humanity? So I'm telling them to come. I'm distributing, passing out the flyers, digital flyers, emails, talking to my students. I'm a teacher. Try to contribute to, you know, to the spreading of the word.
And you think that the festival is important? Very much. Very much. Audience member Ricardo, who was there for most of the films. On Saturday, Awards Day, the highlight was a screening of Heidi Hutner's feature documentary, Radioactive, The Women of Three Mile Island. Radioactive covers the never-before-told stories of four homemakers, two lawyers who took the local community's case all the way to the Supreme Court, and a young female journalist who was caught in the radioactive crossfire. The film features activist and actor Jane Fonda, whose film China Syndrome, a fictional account of a nuclear meltdown, opened just 12 days before the real disaster in Pennsylvania. Radioactive also breaks down the story of a radical new health study, currently in process, that may finally expose the truth of the meltdown. For over 40 years, the nuclear industry has done all in their power to cover up their criminal actions, claiming, as they always do, no one was harmed and nothing significant happened at Three Mile Island. In this thrilling feminist documentary, indomitable women fight back against the nuclear industry Goliath to expose one of the worst cover-ups in U.S. history. Heidi could not attend, so I was honored to be asked to introduce the film. In talking with the students, several of them said that they had never heard of Three Mile Island. Needless to say, now they have. Then it was time for the awards ceremony. The awards themselves are created by Brazilian artist Getulio D'Amado, who lives and works in the Santa Teresa neighborhood of Rio de Janeiro, where the inaugural Uranium Film Festival was held in 2011. Getulio crafts the trophy from trash found on the streets of Santa Teresa, and each one is a unique and signed work of art. Immediately after Heidi's film finished screening, the award ceremony began. Note that links to all of these films, their trailers, and information how you can access the full film to view it at home is available on the Uranium Film Festival website, uraniumfilmfestival.org. The Best First Feature Documentary Award, given to a new filmmaker, went to Julian Vogel from Sweden for his film Intercontinental Bunker Mission, ICBM. Attending the awards and later speaking was the Honorary Consul General of Sweden in Rio, Jan Lomhold. Best Investigative Documentary Award went to Heidi Hutner for her amazing film, Radioactive, The Women of Three Mile Island. I was honored to be allowed to accept the award for Heidi and look forward to handing it over to her in the near future. Best Documentary Feature Award was given to the U.S. production Downwind, by Mark Shapiro and Douglas Bryan Miller. Best Documentary Short Film, given to Small and Big, by Serbian director Zelmer Gvardiol. This documentary shows us the consequences of the widespread use of depleted uranium ammunition by NATO in Serbia, and the victims as we have not seen them before. The award was accepted by depleted uranium activist and scholar Demacio Lopez, who called the film very moving, very authentic. Honorable mentions were given to a number of films. The feature documentary So to Say, S-E-W to Say, by Spanish director Raquel Aguirre. It was accepted for her by the General Consul of Spain in Rio, Ángel Vázquez Díaz de Tuesta. Further honorable mentions were given to A Body in Fukushima by director Aiko Otake, a Japan-United States collaboration. How Far From Ground Zero 
by Brian Cowden from the United States, Chernobyl, The Lost Tapes by James Jones of the UK, Tortoise Under the Earth by Shishir Jha from India, and Neutron Bomb by Peter Curran from the United States. And then, The Unexpected, The Shock, as Norbert read, Every year, the International Uranium Film Festival honors special personalities of the atomic age with its Honorary Lifetime Achievement Award. This year, 2023, it goes to a special personality and citizen of Los Angeles. The International Uranium Film Festival Honorary Lifetime Achievement Award 2023 is given to Libby Halevi, producer and host of the weekly podcast radio show Nuclear Hot Seat, who recently received the Nuclear Free Future Award. Since 2011, Libby Halevi has done a tremendous and wonderful job enabling numerous nuclear activists, filmmakers, and scientists to share their thoughts and opinions with hundreds of thousands of radio listeners around the world. Well, talk about gobsmacked. It was an honor I did not expect and could not anticipate in recognition of my 12 years of work on Nuclear Hot Seat. They had to wave me to the stage where, for one of the few times in my life, I was speechless. So I told the audience, Obrigada. Thank you. There will be pictures of me with the award on the website, NuclearHotSeat.com, under this episode, number 624. Then we all adjourned to the courtyard outside of the theater, where, to the sound of live samba music and the influence of more than one caipirinha, we walked to the red carpet, posed for photos, embraced, celebrated, and talked with the people who were there. It was a joyous evening for those of us who fight so long and so hard and so diligently against the nuclear menace in the world. Just because we're serious activists doesn't mean we can't have fun and celebrate each other and elevate each other so that we can keep doing the work. As things were winding down that night and then the next day, I had the opportunity to talk once again with Norbert Suchenek about what's ahead for the International Uranium Film Festival. So Norbert, the 2023 International Uranium Film Festival in Rio has ended as of today. How are you feeling about the way that it went? It went very well, like all the other film festivals, because at the end we made new friends. And this is uh, what the festival is too about, to make friends and to do networking. We brought together young filmmakers with nuclear activists in their, how to say, with very experienced nuclear activists. So I think we are starting a new story. Also, one of the results too is new opportunities. We may have the chance to return to United States and to make a festival in Los Angeles. That would be excellent. Now, if there are groups, universities or community groups that are being activists or anyone at all that would be interested in booking the International Uranium Film Festival to take place in their part of the country, how would they go about doing that? 
well it's quite easy just send us an email an email that you can find at our website and then let's let's talk about it the website is uraniumfilmfestival.org yes and you find on the website our email it's uh, my name norbert zuchanik uraniumfilmfestival.org no? That's great. And that's open to any group that would like to come in and support, subsidize, book it, somehow come into collaboration with the film festival to bring it to wherever they happen to be. Wherever and whenever. You know, if you're alone in a city and you have the idea to make the festival or to bring the festival to your place and you don't know how, just contact us and we figure it out. At the same time, I've certainly received a number of messages from people who have seen my posts on Facebook about the festival or have listened to the first of two programs I'm doing on it and Nuclear Hot Seat. And they've said, wait a minute, I've got a film. How do I get it to you? How do I get it in the festival? So what do you say to those filmmakers who are interested in submitting their films? It's the same story. Just go to our website, send an email. Hello, I have a film. What do you think about it? And you will send the link of the film to us and then we will see if it fits in our festival or not. But in general, every year in October, we send out a call of entry. It's our press release that we send out to all the film journalists to receive new nuclear films. So if anybody's currently working on a film but aren't quite done with it, they have October, at least until October of this year, to pull it together to be able to get it to you to be in consideration for next year's festival. Not October. In October we will just send out our press release and then the filmmakers can send the films until January to us to be accepted for the festival in May in Rio. But maybe it's not time for Rio, but maybe for Berlin or for Los Angeles. Well, I would certainly welcome you to my hometown because I think that L.A., meaning Hollywood, could really do with an influx of honest nuclear information upon which to base their films. Yes, I'm pretty sure. Los Angeles is the place to be. We have been there 2016 and, and we are sure that we can do it again and maybe even more bigger than 2016. One can only hope and I look forward to seeing you there. Yes, I'm looking forward to seeing you. Our film festival, like all the other film festivals in the world, needs support. The difference is Cannes in France gets support from support for the big companies, but our film festival not. Yet? Not yet. We, we depend on, on the people. For example, if every man and woman who is against nuclear, who is conscious about environment and nuclear, if everyone of these about 400 million people in the world would just give us one dollar, I think we could make film festivals not only in Los Angeles, we could go around the world. Here's hoping that those people hear and can respond. Norbert Suchanek, you and Marcia Gomez de Oliveira did a fantastic job this year. The memories will last me for the rest of my life, and I can't wait to share more of my stories with the listeners of Nuclear Hot Seed. Thank you, Libby. We just tried to do our best. And it shows. That was Norbert Suchanek, founder and director, along with founder and director Marcia Gomez de Oliveira, 
of the International Uranium Film Festival. It just concluded its 12th year, and now we're looking to the future. So if you would like the International Uranium Film Festival to present in your city, state, or country, Marcia and Norbert are open to all suggestions and proposals. And if you have a film, they want to see it. There's no fee to apply, so you've got no excuses. We will have the email links up on the website, nuclearhotseat.com, under this episode, number 624, so that you will know where to go to submit the film, what the timing is, what the formats need to be, and also your thoughts and suggestions about sponsorship, funding, and support to make certain that this festival continues on in as many places as possible. Right now, the targets are Los Angeles, Chicago, Scotland, and if you'd like to add to the list, let them know. And if you're not currently making a film about nuclear issues, well, get to it! Come on! Your phone has got a video portion of it. You can do editing on your computer, and we need your voice and all the voices. The call for submissions will not take place until October, so you've got time. I again want to thank Norbert Suchenek and Marcia Gomez de Oliveira for their many kindnesses and generosity in making not only the festival, but my trip one of the best experiences of my life. My thanks also to the filmmakers, the supporters, the students, and all of you who contributed to making this trip possible for me. So please, let's get the information out. Post this episode link, share, let people know about the festival and our coverage. And if you want to catch up with the first part of the coverage, it's on NuclearHotSeat.com at episode number 622. In closing, this has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, June 6, 2023. This episode of Nuclear Hot Seat is copyright 2023, Libby Halevi and Nuclear Hot Seat. All rights reserved, but fair use allowed, as long as you cite the program and the website. For now, this is Libby Halevi of Nuclear Hot Seat, reminding you that if a single film can change a single mind, the result is a world that is changed. So let's make those films and get them out into the world. There you have it. You have just received your weekly nuclear wake-up call. So whatever you do, do not go back to sleep because we are all in the nuclear hot seat. Nuclear hot seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat, what have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat, the corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat. It's the bomb.